0: Last Sunday evening, we began a new series of messages from Paul's letter, his first letter, to the believers in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. We're going to pick up where we left off. Pastor Dave kind of gave an introduction, and we covered the first part of of the greeting and the encouragement and a section of, of thanksgiving. But we also were forewarned that there would be several different issues that Paul would be addressing. And so we are going to jump right in with one of those issues this evening. We're going to pick up at verse 10 and then read through verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus and beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. In his book entitled Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life, author Chuck Swindoll speaks about a poem and he doesn't know who the actual author or writer of the poem is, but he uses it as an example to say that that poem may be indicative of what often happens within the setting of a church community. It goes as follows. Believe as I believe, no more and no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I do, do always as I do, and then, only then, I'll fellowship with you. We think, wow, what a self-absorbed kind of perspective And that's true, but yet if you think about it, there are people that have been treated like this. People who have felt that they had to live up to some sort of unattainable standard in order to be part of a fellowship within a church community. Division and conflict, as we know, has always been a threatening force since the church began. And so it really shouldn't surprise us that the very first issue that Paul addresses in the letter that he wrote, the first letter to the believers in Corinth, was concerning division and fraction within the church community. And I would go so far as to contend that Paul addresses this topic first because it literally lies at the foundation or the root of some of the other issues that developed within that particular church and group of believers. Often division causes opposition. Division causes people to either not listen or to talk past each other. Division emphasizes differences rather than highlighting that which we have in common in our faith. And it's division that often threatens to tear the church community apart. And indeed, that's the case. There were separate groups of believers within the Corinthian church. At the time in which this letter was written, Paul was in Ephesus, so he was not there on location. But obviously, the problems were so serious that they were brought to his attention And we're given specifically, Chloe is the name, and the family who brought this, whether it was in travel or some other way, of alerting Paul to what was going on. And so it makes sense that Paul begins and jumps right into his letter addressing that particular situation. And so we're going to ask, first of all, a question this evening. What is it that appears to be the problem? What's going on? I'm going to read the first part, verses 10 through 12. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So that identifies what's going on. The church at Corinth did have some severe issues or problems. They had polarized themselves into a series of, I guess you could say, cliques, people that felt comfortable together and wanted to be unique and exclude the other members. If you were not part of their particular group, then in their eyes you were not all that important because their group had it all right and had it all together. The church was being divided into different fractions based on who each group considered to be the best leader or presenter of the gospel or the truth. We're told some of them followed Paul. Uh, Most likely a majority of those were Gentile believers, ones that had come to faith specifically through the ministry of Paul. They wanted to be loyal to him because he was the one who literally built up, started and built up the church in Corinth. And so they felt like they should support him. We're told that others followed Peter. Some of the Bible scholars or commentators believe that these followers most likely were raised in a Jewish background. They struggled maybe with accepting the Gentiles because the Gentiles didn't have to obey all the rules like circumcision. And so there was a little bit of jealousy. And it's possible that this group may even have been composed of the working class as A couple of the authors said they might be able to associate with Peter as kind of a rough and tough fisherman. Still others declared their allegiance to Apollos. Apollos was a young pastor. He had visited Corinth and he had remained there and preached there for a while. He may have actually been, if you want to put it in our terms, the pastor that followed Paul. Acts 18 verse 11 says he was an eloquent speaker. He was renowned for his ability to to speak well, to speak using big words, and to tie it all together. The people who followed him were most likely the educated class were impressed by that kind of thing, and finally, there was a group that claimed to follow Jesus. Now, I I use the word "claimed" because, based on Paul's response, they thought of themselves as a superior group. They had this level of false piety, and it seemed to communicate, or at least they exuded this sense of, "You go ahead and listen to all of your teachers." We listen to Jesus, so we are better. In fact, the opposite, though, is if they truly were followers of Jesus, they would be bringing the church together rather than causing division. So those were the four different groups that are specifically mentioned by Paul. And it's important that we emphasize that it was not A division that was based on belief or doctrine that would be a different situation that's the kind of thing that we look at and say yes there is often differences of opinion especially in areas of doctrine and in that case there may be discipline involved that's not the case rather we could say that these church members decided to have a popularity contest And they had their four different nominees. And in so doing, they separated each other or separated themselves into four different groups. And each one was arrogant enough to say, we chose the right leader. We're better than the rest of you. And what's of particular importance and interest, I believe, is that Paul does not advocate for any one of these groups. He doesn't even say the Jesus group, the ones following Jesus, is the best route. He says all of them are not doing what the church of Christ should be doing, and instead they're being divisive. They're fracturing the body of Christ. They were arguing over which group you ought to be a member of, and then they were disassociating with all those groups who are not part of their particular group. So that's a problem we've identified. And obviously it's a significant issue within the church. The second question that we want to answer is again a simple question. What is the solution? We see these different groups. We see the division, the schism. What is the solution? Paul states, The church of God needs to be united. Now, when we speak of the church, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about the people. We're talking about a living, organic entity. The church is not just a building, but it's the people inside of it. It's it's active. It's the body of Christ. And Paul, obviously, is trying to promote that because he calls them brothers. He's referring to them as fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a sense, the way he's writing, it's like writing a family letter, reminding them that they are part of the family of God. So you shouldn't be acting the way that you're acting. We should be coming together. We should find our unity and our purpose. Notice the specifics that Paul mentions. He mentions the fact that they need to be united. They need to agree that there would be no division amongst them. In fact, he goes so far as to say that they would have the same mind and the same judgment. But all of that is focused on that word unity, and that unity is found in Christ, and Christ is the head of the church. Paul says, because you are in fellowship with Jesus Christ, this is actually in verse 9, which is directly proceeding where we picked up in the passage he says because you are in fellowship with Christ you ought to be in fellowship with one another as well the two go hand in hand Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions in other words the answer to those questions is quite obvious in fact, all of them we can say point to Jesus Christ and say that is where you need to go for the answer. Verse 13, it says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Well, we can answer, can't we? Christ is not divided. Paul was not crucified and those believers in Corinth were not baptized into the name of Paul that's for sure so in many ways Paul is pointing out the absurdity of what they were doing it's not about a person the church is about Jesus Christ since its Reformation Sunday I had to include a quote from Martin Luther. I find I find this quote to be very fascinating. He says, I pray you leave my name alone. Do not call yourself Lutherans, but Christians. Who is Luther? My doctrine is not mine. I have not been crucified for anyone. Paul would say that anyone should call themselves of Paul. Not that anyone should call themselves of Paul or Peter, but all should be united in Christ. How then does it befit me, and this is his description, a miserable bag of dust and aches to give my name to the children of Christ Jesus? Cease, my dear friends, to cling to those party names and distinctions. Away with them. Let us call ourselves Christians only, after him from whom all of our doctrine comes. It is quite proper that the papists should bear the name of their party. They're not content with just the name and the doctrine of Jesus Christ. They will be papists. Let them own the Pope as he is their master for me I neither am nor wish to be the master of anyone I and mine will contend for the soul and the whole doctrine of Christ who alone is our true master when believers come together as the church, as the body of Christ, they do it in the name of the Lord. They are welded together by that common bond of unity that that supersedes the boundaries that we often set up. There are people with whom we will have disagreements, but it'll be over minor things. On the major issue of Jesus Christ and who we are in him, we're called, as Paul says, to be one in mind and in our judgment. So what is the solution? The solution is unity in Jesus Christ. And that leads us then to our final question. Of course, I had to have three. What are we called to do? I'm going to read just some segments from that last section, verses 14 through 17. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power." So Paul goes on to state specifically that he only baptized a few people in Corinth. Why does he go to such great lengths to make that point? Well, eventually there was a group at Corinth who were claiming to be disciples of Paul, and some of them may have been bragging, it was Paul himself that led me to the Lord, or I was personally baptized by Paul. He goes on to tell exactly a couple of the people that he did actually baptize in Corinth, but he corrects them and says, don't put your status on me or my name. I didn't baptize you in my name, and you can't be identified with me. You need to be identified with Christ. In verse 17, he says very clearly, Christ did not send him to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He was set apart for that purpose. And you and I are also sent in the same way that Paul was. We are sent to share the good news of the gospel. What is the gospel? The word in the New Testament, the Greek word is euangelion, which means good news. The gospel is the good news that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who became flesh so that he could die on the cross to pay the price for our sins, to make atonement for us. He did it in our place. He died so that we didn't have to die on the spiritual level. He was judged for our sins. He rose again from the dead to prove that forgiveness. And because of that, we are able to have eternal life it's not through our works it's not through our effort it's not through us being good people it's not through us being baptized or even by joining a specific particular denomination it is a gift of god and like uh, most gifts it doesn't depend upon The person who's receiving it but the person who gives it God has given this amazing gift in Romans 5 verse 8 it says God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us you and I are called to share that wonderful truth to others So let's quickly summarize as we look at the people that Paul is writing to. We see the nature of their division, their disunity. It was all rooted in pride and selfishness. And this expressed itself in people lining up behind their favorite leader and boasting about about that individual and all of the superiorities that they had. The result was schism, division, quarreling within the church. The way Paul attacks this problem is to teach them what is true. We would say true doctrine, the basic Christian truths, Apply them to the church as the body of Christ. And he goes on to say some specifics. That Christ is not divided. He is one. He's the head of the church. That believers possess all things in him. And not through the work or the traits of an individual leader or a favorite teacher. That that individual or leader was not crucified for you, but Christ was. That you are not baptized into the name of a person, but into the name of Christ. That true teachers don't try to win over others by speaking with eloquence, as Paul indicates, rather they literally die to themselves as they preach Christ crucified. And finally, that God is the one who produces spiritual fruit, and he is the one who should receive all of the glory and the honor. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. What a wonderful gift. We look at this letter that Paul wrote to this body of believers. And again, we see that there is division, there is discord. And this leads to issues. And we see a level of pride and arrogance. And in the process, the focus is taken off of the unity that the church is to exemplify through Jesus Christ. Lord, as we look at these words from the Bible, may they impact us. Because we also are part of the family of God. And we need to be reminded it's not about a person. Often we look around and we see individuals that have risen to prominence because of a trait or an attribute or, or something that makes them appealing. But Paul says that's wrong. We need to focus on who Christ is. We need to together look at the truth. And we're reminded on this Sunday of Reformation that that is what preserves your word. And as it is passed from generation to generation, help us to remain faithful. Give to us the words to speak. Help us to share the joy and the hope that we have in Jesus our Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.